0: Logo Geeks. Hey, Logo Geeks, it's Ian Padgett here. I'm back with another podcast that's created to help you make a living designing logos. Today's episode is sponsored by The Perfect Match, a game where designers submit mood boards created using Adobe Stock Assets. And if your amazing mood board design is chosen, you will be featured on Adobe's monthly live streaming game show with other talented designers, art directors and creatives where the winner goes home with $750. It's totally free to participate in the perfect match. And by simply submitting an entry, Adobe will buy you a coffee for your time. So to learn more about that and to enter, just visit theperfectmatch.co forward slash logo geek. That's theperfectmatch.co forward slash logo geek. So a couple of months ago, I received a really nice message through Instagram from Sheldrake Press, who kindly offered to send me a copy of a new book. This book was Logo Motive, which is an incredible book that's a visual tribute to American railroad graphics and design. So rather than simply write a review, I thought I'd invite the creators of the book on the podcast instead, so that we can have an in-depth discussion around train logos and branding. So this week I'm joined by two guests, Firstly, Ian Logan, who's a graphic designer who started the journey of creating this book after arriving in America back in 1968, where he was blown away by the logos and slogans he saw painted on the side of freight trains. The second guest is Jonathan Glancy, who's a journalist and author who worked with Ian on the contents of the book. If you're keen to buy a copy of the book, I recommend heading to shelldrakepress.co.uk or you can find links in the show notes for this episode uh, where I'll also include a transcription of the interview too. So to find the show notes, head to logogeek.uk forward slash 113. The passion and enthusiasm from these guys is infectious and uh, we really nerd out about trains, logos and the associated graphics so I hope you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So let's jump into this, here is the interview with Ian Logan and Jonathan Glancy. you guys have created a book that I happen to have in my hand right now, uh, Logomotive and uh, that's a book about railroad graphics and the American Dream and rather than just posting a picture on social media to help promote it. I, I thought I'd invite you both on and to, to have a chat about railway logos and branding, uh, which is definitely on topic for this podcast. So I think as a starting point for listeners, can you each briefly introduce yourself to the audience?
1: Yes. Uh, shall I go first? Yeah, go for first. it. Um, I'm Ian Logan. I was uh Oh, originally, I trained as an engineer at Westinghouse Brake and Signal Company in Chippenham as an apprentice. And then I went to art school um, and I ended up at the Central School in London doing textile design. Um, I ended up by doing graphic design, uh, which made me very interested in things like logos and graphics and typefaces and things like that.
0: It's going to be interesting that you come into this uh, with a graphic design background. Um, so I'm looking forward to chatting. Uh, Jonathan, do you want to introduce yourself as well? I'm Jonathan
2: Glancy. I'm a journalist, author, and I began my career with the Architecture Review magazine. And then I went on to work on the staff of the Independent and Guardian newspapers. And today I mostly write
0: my books. So you you both have... Uh, really quite different backgrounds. Uh, Is there a story behind this book and how you both ended up working together on it?
1: Yes. Um, I originally did this book for a company called Matthews Miller Dunbar. It was a tiny book. They did a series based on the English Sunrise. And I had gone to America uh, for the first time in 1968 and was with a friend, and we ended up at a little industrial town north of New York. Um, we are sitting in a bar chatting to people. Um, it was a very run-down town, and I heard this locomotive horn going, and I sort of went out of the bar, and the railroad track was next to the bar. And this train came by. Uh, it was an F or E-type General Motors engine with six foot lettering on the side saying rock island and then the um the carriages started going by all the 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 box cars with logos that i just could not believe and i was totally taken by it and came back to england and decided that i should do a i should go try and go back and do some research and do a, a book on it and it was the time when Matthew Snellah Dunbar were doing these English sunrise books and they were very excited by it and said well if you can go and do it we'll publish a little book I then went back to America in the early 70s and started I really didn't do a lot of research I, I wasn't really I didn't really know how to do it I did it on the hoof really But I started in New York and wandering around freight yards, just taking photographs. And it was a time before uh, graffiti. So the boxcars were sort of fairly clean, except for the dirt of traveling. Um, And I then phoned. um, I thought I ought to go across country. And I telephoned Union Pacific. I'd, I'd seen a Union Pacific freight car. And they said that if I was doing a book and I wanted to travel across, I could go across in the cab with an engineer, but I had to get to Chicago. So really, it was all built on that. And I hadn't really any idea of how many different logos there were in America on the railroads. Um, And I just went from town to town, walking in freight yards, photographing uh, boxcars and engines when they had nice logos and that's really how it started and then about I suppose 10 years ago I was looking at it again it was never a good book it, it wasn't printed very well and I started looking at all my transparencies and was thinking you know this is nearly 50 years ago and they've all gone all the all the things that I photographed have gone so I started thinking about doing another book, and that's how it started. And I found um, a a publisher who was very interested called Sheldrake Press. And then at one point I said, look, there's no way I can write this because it needed to be written. And I remembered Jonathan from coming into a little design shop that I had in, in the city in London. And I said, "Well, what about Jonathan Glancy? He's got to be the best one for the book." And very kindly, Jonathan said, "Yes, please, I'll do it." <laughs> so that's how it became.
0: I, I really love this. I, I I think it's really inspiring because it sounds like. Um as a young guy you you found things that really inspired you and i, I think even today a, a lot of this stuff still um inspires graphic designers around the world but uh you know see something that you really love and just to go out there it kind of sounds like you just went traveling america <laughs> well, I, <did>. um, <laughs> I was
1: there for about five or six weeks just traveling around but the, the thing that really started me of course was the 1950s, and the Rock Island Line with Lonnie Donegan. Um, I hadn't realised that the Rock Island Line song related to a real railroad. So when I saw it, I was even more excited. And then I realised that every single railroad in America has a song. Hey, really? Oh, every one of them <laughs> has a song, or even two songs. And even today, pop groups You'll find a a line in a song will relate to a railroad. I mean, the band I think did one, and the, it relates to "Catch a Cannonball," to "Take Me Down the Line," which is the Wabash Cannonball, and they they still sing about the railroads. There is a phenomenal romance in America about the railroads, even though it's crippled.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, it, it it sounds like there's a lot of. Um deep history in it in culture in general and um yeah I I just think it sounds really exciting that you went out there you you started taking photos you kept it all and um here today you've been able to pull all of that out and to be able to share that forgotten history um and uh put that into a book and to uh share all of the stories behind everything you you saw at that time so it's uh I've been going through the book I will openly admit I haven't read through the whole thing back to back but you know it's it's really nice to be able to go through and see all of the different logos images branding and so on around uh, around the um, American railway logos it's uh it's amazing to see
1: well and also one of my th- great things was that most of them, they're not designed by designers. They're designed by people like ticket agents and railroad engineers, um, w- which is why they have that wonderful, gutsy feeling to them. Also, somebody of my age, and Jonathan will agree, because Jonathan has the same enthusiasm as me about it, it um, th- there's a phenomenal romanticism about America for um the names, you know, the, 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 the Wabash Cannonball, what a name for a train. <laughs> wonderful. And the, the, the California Zephyr, they're, they're just wonderful names. I remember being in the cab of the engine and the engineer said, I said, what's going on in the, in the distance there? I can see cowboys on horseback. And he said, well, it's a cow town, it's Cheyenne. And I thought, Christ, I'm in, I'm in, a, I'm in a 40s film. And then he looked at me and said, "Do you want to pull the horn?" Well, I thought I'd gone to heaven.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I really love this. I, I can, I can really tell that you're really passionate about this. You, you was when you first started taking those photos, and you still are today. Yeah, it's, it's nice to hear. I, I, you know, I find it really interesting that you mentioned that a lot of these logos wasn't done by. Uh, graphic designers or logo designers Um, but when you look through them uh, collectively there is this shared aesthetic you know there's this overall aesthetic Um, I I, I think it'd be interesting to talk about that you know because you you've researched this you've gone through this so um, how how have you feel it's changed over the years these train logos because that early um the early one that that you mentioned that just looked like stenciled letters but then some of the ones in the book are very illustrative very detailed um there seems to be a lot going on but it still has some look and feel to it that feels consistent with the others are are you able to talk about that at all like the how it's evolved and and uh uh, uh, any of the styles of the logos at all
1: well i think that the rock island for instance i think it's um it's a beaver pelt. Now I don't know why they chose a beaver pelt, but um, obviously it relates to where the train goes or where the, where the line goes. But and I think that that the, the the whole thing about that is it's simple. It it's right to the point. The guy who did it loved the idea that that's where it came from go to the back of the book i think you'll find there's a new logo which has been done called the rock which is the rock island and it's totally corporate and it for me it hasn't got that subtlety and that that sort of basic thing about that is the, the passion of the early one and the, mm-hmm. the the new one is just for me it's just a uh, corporate which most modern logos are i think
0: yeah it's um it, it is interesting with logos how they have changed over the years you can see that within the with, within the whole uh corporate industry and i think um uh a, a big part of that is uh that the logos are much more versatile so you know, so they, they can have that large on the side of the train, but then also if they're using it within any of their marketing material or um, anything else, you know, they, they can use that smaller. So I, I do understand why it's gone in that way. But um, yeah, I do well, modern, um, agree a, a, with you. <laughs> it's lost its character. A
1: modern, most modern designers who are designing big logos will have a total room full of strategy before they, uh, to com- to convince the client that that's what it should be. I mean, there are good logos, of course there are nowadays, um, but there are ones that are, that have lasted forever, like, um, you know I, don't know, I suppose Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. um, certainly General Electric, which was designed in the 1890s and is based on a fan. Although I do know that it was modified in 2004 by, Uh, wolf olins um i don't know what they did actually because if you look at it it's no different except it's just blue yeah
0: (laughs) Do do you think that um that change in how they look is because graphic designers started creating the logos rather than uh what you said earlier with it being like the engineers and and basically the people that you wouldn't want designing a logo
1: <laughs> well it, it i have also have a fascination with airplanes and um, the logos on air, on aircraft manufacturers are, are mostly designed by engineers who will emboss them into the, uh, the into the pedals in a, in an airplane or on the side of an airplane or something and i don't know what it is there's a spontaneity about them that has not gone through a committee of fifteen people. That's what I like about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I can. Well, you can see that in a lot of older general uh, logo designs that it just doesn't go through the process it does now. And it's interesting, really, that we think that it's lost a lot of that charm that it um, has. That you know that that's appealing to the point where I look through that book and I like looking at them, even though they don't follow. Uh, the expected uh, characteristics or trait of what you would deem as a successful logo.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: I'm curious to ask if, um, so you've, you've got this whole collection of all these images from over the years. It's now all collated into uh, one book. Is, is there a favorite piece that's really stuck with you for whatever reason?
1: Um. Well, I've collected things like um, anything. I, I, I've been back to America probably every year I go. And I, I sort of scour antique shops where you can find timetables, book matches, all sorts of things related to the railroads. But they are becoming incredible collector's pieces now. Um, I, remember, I remember when I was with my partner Gail. We, we went to South Dakota and I said on the way back, we were driving that I've gotta to go to Rock Island. And in fact, there, there were it, Rock Island's horrible. I there <laughs> was my romance about Rock Island being a wonderful small town with a lovely engine sitting there, nothing except the broken down building with a beautiful enamel plate on the side saying rock island the the logo i I wish i'd taken it
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can imagine that you probably would want to collect that but i I think um, uh, anything to do with trains there's a lot of collectors out there and it's not it's not just graphic designers there's um there's a lot of people that would be interested in this book that are really enthusiastic about trains Um, i know it's one of those things
1: (laughs) it's not just trains i mean it it it's the whole feeling i mean you know, Jonathan will talk about the architecture. The architecture is sensational of that period. I mean, they were they were amazingly proud people and very rich. The uh, the owners of the um, of the railroad companies, like Henry J. Flagler, who owned the the um, uh, Florida East Coast Line and built it. He was a he was in partnership with uh, Rockefeller, and an oil man and took his wife to florida every year because she suffered from um a bad chest and he sort of said why isn't there a railroad why do i have to come down here with by a car or something so he built a railroad (laughs) i mean it's those sort of guys
0: yeah it's surreal it's surreal um you you mentioned then about the architecture and i know um I, I do feel that's a huge part of oh. the overall identity of the um rail system like you, you could you could show a couple of images and people know straight away that's a um you know related to trains or the 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 rail system or something oh, like that I mean, and um
1: just walk into um los angeles union station your jaw will drop or the one in New York, the um, the the Grand Central Terminal. I mean, they are palaces, just incredible.
0: Jonathan, I'm keen to i keen to let you speak a little bit as well. Is there is there an, um is there something that you can add in terms of the architectural aspect? I think you,
2: it's important to remember that before the interstate highways were built in the 1950s. And before the intercity jets, the airliners started crisscrossing the United States, the railroad was the way to travel. I mean, at the turn of the 20th century, about 99% of business journeys in the United States were made by train. I mean, very different a hundred years later. And because of that, and what Ian says about the money involved, is prestige, money, adventure, and this glorious sense of place that Ian's also touched on, that when railroads got to build architecture, they didn't just follow immediate fashions, they followed um, styles that reflected where they were. So inevitably in New York, you know, you get the great uh, neoclassical and art deco stations because uh, New York was at the heart and zenith of fashion, architecture, design, and so on. But as you roll out west across this enormous country, which remembers the size of a con- it's a continent as well as a country, mm-hmm. the United States. Each state is different and still is. And as you travel across this, you see the styles of architecture changing, um, and that is wonderful. So you see Norman and Neo Norman architecture, Gothic architecture. You know, it's extraordinary timber architecture, stone architecture, marble architecture. And one of the things that we um, both loved as a railroad, we both love Ian. Um, which is the Santa Fe, the great Southern southwestern railroad that would allow you to ride out from Kansas City out to the Californian coast in immense style. And that pulls the whole story together in some ways, because its logo, which you saw stamped into the buildings in that Union Station in Los Angeles, in trains, benches, um, anything you can think of, uh ashtrays across the railroad system was, is one of the best of all um, railway logos. The Santa Fe logo, it's a circle with a cross in the centre. And that was designed, as again, as Ian's pointing out, not by a design agency. They didn't exist. It was designed in about 1880 by Mr. J.J. J. Byrne, who was a traffic manager of the Santa Fe Railroad. And he designed it On a train journey, which makes the story even better, he's sitting on a train and he's toying with a silver dollar on his table with a pen and a piece of paper. He traces around the silver dollar and thinks, yeah, circle's nice, circle's nice. Then he puts this cross through it, which of course, because he's in the great region where the Spanish came and built their great mission churches. And that cross was very much part of that Spanish Southwest America. And so that logo, It became one of the first modern logos. It wasn't adopted in 1901, but it was then used for the next three quarters of a century. And it predated, for example, London Transport's round or bullseye by 20 years. And it is supreme. It tells you a story of a sense of place and occasion, and it's modern in a certain way and historical as well. And You just don't get any better.
0: It's it's surreal, really, to think that all of this stuff that we're admiring and and looking back on and is um striking enough to not not just to graphic designers but to so many people it's amazing to think that it wasn't by a graphic designer that it was created by um you know people that were working within the project and to some extent that's that's like a graphic designer's nightmare you know you, we we want to be able to have the freedom to um uh do that but it, it really adds to the um charm uh, something I wanted to ask so and and I don't know if you know the answer to this but okay so that guy he sketched out uh whilst on a train journey would he have given that sketch to an illustrator or an artist or, or something like that in order to make it real
2: <laughs> yes you have to give it to someone in house i mean the railroads in america quite early on started developing um uh, publicity in you know, their departments they were very good at that the americans of course marketing publicity they got mm. it advertising and so they had a lot of people working in in house. And that tradition, by the way, um, to the frustration of modern graphic designers, <laughs> continued right to very late. I mean, <laughs> yeah. in the 1950s, some of the best um, graphic design, uh, most engaging graphic design, for example, was by um, the people working in the publicity departments. Like, uh, you know, in the Long Island Railroad, uh, there was this tremendous um, desire to make the railroad seem more cheerful than this dreary commuter line from Long Island into New York. And in the mid-50s, the railroad came up with this lovely idea. They called the line the route of the dashing commuter, and they created this sort of cartoon graphics. They're very entertaining, showing a dashing dam, this frantic chap who's running always to catch trains, but turned into a stylized logo uh, and um the route of the dashing commuter brought the long island railroad very much alive but that um the graphics that came from it were done with men, three men talking in the advertising department of the railroad they came up with the ideas the gra- you know the graphics the 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 captions the lo- you know and that shows you they were they lasted a long time and it wasn't really until the railroads started to get closed down or merged. giant mergers that happened in the 70s and all Ian's lovely boxcar logo started to disappear. Um, that Those mergers by giant corporations weren't interested in asking their staff to do things. They went out to the big, big-time advertising agencies and design agencies and got them to do things. And for the most part, which is the saddest story, um, which... Ian Logan, that I feel strongly about and sad about is very much for the most part, the logos that emerged from the Amtrak era and the era of, era of these big mergers were bland. Um, if you look at the Amtrak logo for it's, that was created in 2000, it's just dreadful. It's like these three ink splashes, which look, I mean, if you ask people to try, say, what is this logo of? They would say uh, a bank, Insurance company, you know, they, that's what else could they say? If you said, "No, no, it's a railway, a railroad," oh, I wouldn't have guessed that is what I know people say said mm. because they're meaningless. Um, and that is the danger of big time corporatism. And also, it's that separation, Ian, um, of the the designers from the actual concern itself. So, if you if you're asked as a professional designer to go and work for a railway company, for example, or a bank, you would do your best to try and engage with them and to understand what they're about. But but you'll never be quite right in there, you know. And I think that's where the American Railroad guys had that talent to design. It was a terrific period. And it's not just nostalgia on the part of Ian Logan and myself. It's um, because they were really, really good at it. It's what they lived, breathed, and designed. And that's why they're so convincing. And the whole book, Locomotive, is in a way a story about the identity of the United States as you travel through it in history and in space as well.
0: Yeah. You know, something I'm really getting from both of you is the um, scale of this, really, because uh, when you consider that uh, the rail railroad system was the way to travel around and the sheer wealth, and the um, I'm going to assume going on a train, uh, you know, way back would have been like a real luxury, so oh. you'd want it to be such a luxurious, um, incredible experience, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, that's that's very likely to be the reason why, um, there's so much story and so much you know, heart and soul gone into a lot of this, um, older stuff.
2: Yeah, I think we mustn't forget, though, I mean, there's no question that there were great designers brought in from the outside. Really, I think Ian will agree from the 1930s, people like Henry Dreyfus, a very successful New York industrial designer brought in by the New York Central to style the streamlined 20th Century Limited train, and also to completely revitalise the graphics of the railway, the railroad, Um, and with design down to every minute level, not just graphics and the outward appearance of railway carriages and locomotives, but, you know, down to everything you picked up, knives, forks, spoons, you know, um, packets of matches.
1: Sorry, Jonathan. People like Henry Dreyfus were completely all-round designers, and he was an engineer as well. And, you know, didn't just design railroad. I mean, he
2: designed the Hoover logo. Yeah, they were supremely talented, and the, but there are, I think, um, so as not to be, <laughs> to sound as if we're negative about more modern um, graphic designers. We're certainly not, um, and Ian trained as one, of course. Uh, but there, <laughs> there's some, there's some brilliance, but very, very occasional examples of great design. Um, and see what Ian Logan thinks too. But um, there was Herbert Matter in the mid '50s who designed the a new logo for the New Haven Railroad um yes. which which is really good it's a, so just good. A, really lovely isn't it a great big powerful m over a great big powerful h and stuck on the side of trains it had that kind of it was modern but still felt like a great big stencil stamped onto the trains and that was successfully wasn't it yes
1: very very much so and that really had the essence of the of the the sort of freedom of the old logos, I think.
2: Yeah, felt felt yeah gutsy and positive. And the other one was, I know it's not specifically United States, but it had an influence was Alan Fleming's design in the late fifties for Canadian National. You know that lovely yeah, one. Yeah, very went. good one. Really lovely, and where the, he has a C that turns into an N, they flow into each other, and it looks like um, a map of a railway. Really, um, it looks like a railway line. It's so clever. And that had a big influence. So there were these brilliant people that were involved. Well, but Raymond, Ian said, Raymond Lowy. And Raymond Lowy, another one, you know, one well, of the first professional designers. Um, but he got it. He just thrilled the railways. That's the other thing, being excited by them. And you've got to be excited by something like a railway or an airline to capture its spirit in design.
0: I interrupt this interview for a short message from the sponsor of this episode, The Perfect Match, a game where designers submit mood boards created with Adobe Stock Assets and earn your chance to play on a game show to win big. As designers, we pitch good vibes and great ideas through visuals all day, every day. But how well does our design communicate? Do clients and higher-ups really understand the work we put in front of them? Well, let's find out. Test your skills by assembling a brand-inspired mood board with Adobe stock images to the perfect match. And if your skillful project is chosen, you will be featured on Adobe's monthly live streaming game show with other groovy designers, art directors and creatives where the winner goes home with seven hundred and fifty dollars it's free to participate in the perfect match and if you submit an entry adobe will buy you a coffee for your time to take part and to learn more visit theperfectmatch.co forward slash logo geek so let's get back to the interview You know, something that you guys are making me think of um, in the UK, we have the uh, Great Western Railway um, Mm -hmm. brand company and i can't i I don't know the exact details of it but i remember a point uh probably about five years ago or maybe a little bit more uh where they did a whole redesign rebrand and i can't remember what the trains used to look like but i remember one day going on the train and this green like it was a whole rebranded one uh it was the it went back to the 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 uh, solid sort of darker green and it just had the GWR on the side in a nice font and uh, you know that for me was so much more striking than what they had uh, previously it it kind of went back to um, those roots what you're talking about where it's like more stenciled like it, it looks like somebody um, could have painted it on there rather than it being uh, like created it in, in a computer and uh, uh, yeah, I really appreciated seeing that. It was, it was nice to see. And uh, I, I think it was the first time in the UK anyway, being excited about a logo on the side of a train. <laughs> and the train started,
2: it started, the train actually, this great Western train started to look like trains again. You yeah, know, the, the Trains are big, big solid things, but they can be quite dramatic um, colours and quite revolutionary ones. I mean, I think um, when we both, another railroads that, Ian Logan and I both um, thrilled to is the Union Pacific which has always been a gigantic railroad Um, it's very proud of its heritage and it runs today two magnificent giant steam locomotives, one passenger one freight, Um, they're on regular rosters as well Um, they're not museum pieces and those engines um, have this 1930s livery and graphics fantastic, they're sort of Anthracite and a steely grey with this magnificent um, lettering, which is based on Futura um, font but slightly modified for the railroad, and they just look great, it's sort of black and silver, basically with beautiful crisp white modern lettering. And then the diesel trains um, and and some of the freight cars are this dramatic. Um, well, I don't. Ian Logan probably it's that colour. I can't quite get it. They're sort of a um, yellow and like a yellow and vermilion, aren't they? Yeah, you know, is that right? They're the right colours, um, and and they look absolutely tremendous in the landscape. So the so colours don't have to be you know uh, oldy fashioned to work for, rail, for for railways, railroads. They can be striking and modern. Um, but it's about again this um it's about an integrity of design. It's about this real thrill to what a train can be, and you know these new Great Western. Trains do look good again because they look like trains.
1: I think it's Pentagram that did that, isn't
2: it? It's Pentagram, yeah. yeah. It's really good, isn't it? It's a great yeah. job they did. Um, and because we, we've seen so many of these liveries we've discussed where – this sort of blandness creeps in, this sort of vague computer graphic type styling on the side of trains is ridiculous. It might look okay on a computer screen, but a train is big. <laughs> it's long, big, heavy, powerful, noisy thing. And it it needs much more than computer graphics to make it work.
1: I think that's when, when I first saw the Rock Island train in um in Cold Springs in Upper New York. I mean, the, the lettering was six foot, um, yeah, six foot. and it was it was at the time when there was a big fashion for super graphics, and I thought, my God, the railroads had it before we've got it. <laughs> I mean, just seeing Rock Island six foot high was wonderful,
2: and they did they did brilliant things with um, t- taking. Um, Things that start, graphics that started off as very sort of cutie pie and playful and nostalgic, and then turning them into something much more powerful. You know, I was thinking of the story of um, the Chesapeake and Ohio oh, row, Railroad with Chessie the Cat. Chessie the Cat was this pretty little picture that drawing um, the railroad team had seen of, of a little sleeping pussycat. And they were about to introduce a new type of sleeping car express and they used Chessie as a little emblem of how you'd sleep like a little kitten on the super smooth trains. It's a lovely idea. And Chessie it built up as into little books about Chessie and, and Chessie and her partner, Chessie and her children. Um, but eventually the logo itself was brilliantly stylized into this abstract Chessie the Cat on the side of Ian's beloved boxcars. Yeah, and definitely. you saw those Ian, didn't you, in the nineteen yeah. seventies? And Chessie the Cat is was a great abstract logo but it had come from again a story very particular story of in the railroad's history and that made the the logo work.
0: I think something I need to make sure I do is with everything that you described all these different logos and brands (laughs) I'm going to have to link to them in the show notes. (laughs) Um, I I feel like this is a very uh, visual, visual thing, and uh, you know we're we're talking about it, and I know it's going to be one of those things that people are listening and and they want to have a look. So, um, obviously, people need to look at the book because it's it's great. But um, I think I'll I'll pop a few images in the uh, show notes for this episode as well. Um, Something you mentioned uh, just now was about. What works? So uh, you, you spoke about how there's uh, how people are creating graphic design within a computer and it doesn't necessarily look great on a train. Based on all of this collective research and all of this collective body of images and, and so on, what do you think does work for a train?
2: Well, I would say a um, powerful logos, simple logos. Uh, they've got to be tough in every way. One thing that you don't get in, if you look at computer screen design, a lot of it, and see the images people are working with, everything's just um, perfect, clean, squeaky clean, anodyne. A train operates, and in America, think about the operation, they operate in cities, in big yards, in deserts, in mountains. Um, a train gets dirty, dusty, brake dust, Filth kicked up in bad weather. Um, so, so a graphic a logo has a color scheme, a livery has to work in the harshest of climatic and geographical conditions. So they have to be strong, clear, simple. Um, and then they can have lovely details when you get close up, which is lovely. You can still put which the American railroads will do, um, sometimes a little tradi- tradi- quite traditional design motifs and messages on the trains, which you see when you're right by them in yards or in railway stations. But yes, it's, it, it's got to be a form of graphic design that can cope with the environment that trains work in.
0: So, I, I'm, initially what comes to my mind is just a really bold <laughs> typography um, and uh, keeping it simple. Um, we we've spoken about how some of these companies start to look too corporate Mm. so is is there a fine line between that you know between being tough and bold and 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 just being really striking and and how i see that in order to do that it requires that simplicity how how do you feel that's been done to avoid this whole corporate look and feel that you could so easily (laughs) Uh, get to if you took that route?
2: Well, management aside, I mean, most corporate <laughs> managements today want um, to look like everybody else. They want these global look graphics, which they are inherently anodyne and boring. Um, so that's a bit of a drag. But and for graphic designers themselves, the people working, um, used to work on the drawing boards and now working on computer screens, I, I would say to them, and I hope they do, you need to just get out of there, really. And I think that be on the platform end, be in the, in the freight yard. And I think the, um, that did show, when, Ian, you mentioned the great Western trains, the new look by Pentagram. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, it's absolutely clear That the graphic designers there were um, looking properly at the trains and they imagined what they would look like. Not just imagine, you could tell they were actually there at Paddington Station or wherever, Bristol or Slough, actually looking and watching and thinking about the trains and that's what you have to do you have to be involved with them so they have to be even if they're only doing it for a year you've got to be a railway enthusiast as as a designer for a year to create a successful railway logo and livery
0: yeah you you know something that comes to mind and it's it's unrelated to uh railways but um in a previous job I, i needed to do a lot of exhibition graphic design and um some of the early stuff some of the first stuff that I did it it, it, it took time to learn how to create work that would uh, work effectively at that size um, because you know you're seeing everything on a computer screen it's hard to imagine it in that environment and uh, it it probably took me about five years to really master what would work effectively uh, on a on something big and it sounds like that's very much the case for trains. stuff that doesn't work was probably just thrown together in a computer without necessarily uh spending time around the train and really understanding uh the potential applications so uh i I think you're right you know uh it, it does feel like with that pentagram example that they did and, and they would have done, uh, that they did go and properly look at the trains, yeah. properly understand it, properly test everything, and to to make sure that it would uh, really work in, in that um, scenario. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, uh, to, it, for, for me, it sounds very similar to creating graphics for an exhibition stand because you've got the same uh, constraints uh, well, you know, there's more constraints within a, a train because of the environments that it's uh, put through. But uh, it sounds like there's some similarities there.
2: I think it's very touching when um, Ian did his first book, Lost Glory, with the photographs he took um, from the late 60s through the 70s in the States of lots of boxcars. Um, how those grimy, rusty, weather-stained boxcars, um, and... Shone through through their graphics where these, you know, these powerful logos on their side somehow, you know, made up for the fact that they were having a pretty a hard time physically. You know, so the, the great graphics shine through. And, but they've, they, as we're saying, they've got to respond to the conditions of the railways themselves and if everything's perfect and you know it's wonderful weather and it's the zenith days of the railways you know things could be quite different when if trains were polished every day you could have more elaborate logos and crests but that's not always the case um in the past quarter of a century
0: yeah it, it, it sounds like really useful um research work actually to to look at uh, a lot of the images that Ian's collected oh. up because you're able to see what has... Uh, uh, stood the test of time, what has worked effectively in extreme conditions, what has worked you know when it 's been battered when it 's been uh you know cleaned a hundred times and so on because that stuff that that 's been through those harsh conditions has stuck around and and has worked so um uh it's uh i i'm you know i'm i'm I think after this conversation i 'm going to sit down with the book and really study. Um, some of those images, because I, I think there's a lot of lessons in um, some of that photography and uh, some of that collated archive of uh, logo design and graphics.
1: I think it's also it's the history as well, the history of, um, all, of all the logos of, um, you know, how they originally started out. I mean, if you look at General Motors, which was um, who were one of the great builders of the. Um, uh, of the railway locomotives, their publici- early publicity photographs were undoubtedly uh, designed on the outside by the engineers who would put the logo on. And they always managed to make it in relation to the actual engine itself, because they were so involved with it. And even the Americans have always been tremendous about styling and, and paint work, and, which is one of the things I really love about the way they paint the engines and the trains. Um, but it must have been those those
2: early engineers could draw. Yeah. Oh yes, you know if you look um, if you look through uh, some of us have had the you know opportunities to do archives at the Great Railway Museums, whether in France or Germany or the States or in here in Britain at the National Railway Museum. All those engineering drawings right Fantastic. through to the nineteen fifties are wonderful. Not on you know, the computer. They're not on the computer, <laughs> and we're not just knocking computers. But we're, what we're saying is, it's the it's it's the it's been connected to what you're doing you no know? that's the thing and the computer has this danger of of distancing you yeah, i mean right. you even feel it when you're writing you know you have to remember to go out and talk to people visit places you could sit and try, write a book or write a write a newspaper article Just sitting behind your computer screen, and that's done more and more today. But the articles or the books are far, far, far better when the author, the journalist, is out and about, you know, being somewhere, immersing themselves and talking to people. And things are very different then. So it's really about immersion. And the whole book, I think, is what's so enjoyable about it. It was this immersion into not just American railroad culture, but but the excitement, the epic quality of a whole country that has had, you know, a wonderful confidence sense of itself until very recent times. Mm-hmm.
1: I think again for me it, it is it is a very much a visual thing. I, I mean, the excitement of seeing even today those huge locomotives, and the one there was one in when I was in Kansas City. I was there with a ticket agent who was. Showing me around the the freight yard, and uh, an engine came around the corner, and it was Frisco. Um, and it had come up from Texas now, Texas from Texas to Kansas City. Apparently, it's very flat, and this engine was nearly four miles long. Wow! I mean, you stand there and you think, God.
2: I know. do you remember when we used to say, "I mean, as schoolchildren, we used to know that an American freight trains could be a mile long. It yes. seemed impossible, and now they're now I Ian said now I, now I checked Funny, I checked for enough only um a couple of months ago about these lengths because I was intrigued um and they are yeah, they're three to four miles. It's quite normal. really
0: I didn't <laughs> I mean, know that I've never seen these trains, it's hard to imagine, imagine because It, because it, it just sounds an, like it goes on for infinity. it would take you over an hour
2: to walk past the really. Planet. And they're that long. And so, the, so when it comes to how they look, it's really important that you oh, know, they is, have these it, really is. it was
1: It was fascinating because the engineer le- leaned out of the cab when he came up close to, to us and said, what are you doing? And the agent said, oh, he's doing a book on, uh, on the trains. And he said, Do you want to photograph mine? I said, yeah, well, it's fine. I can take a look <laughs> off now. But he got on his radio and... Backed this four-mile train back a hundred yards, unhitched his engine, and brought it forward. I was astounded, and that's when the uh, the ticket agent said, "Well, he's radioing the guys in the back."
0: <laughs> uh, i can imagine that they was really excited about it anyway to yeah. to get their train uh, f- uh f- photographs because they're probably enthusiastic about it as well and uh they probably appreciate it when someone comes in and they're, they're ex- as excited as they are <laughs>
1: oh I, I i learned very uh early on that the when i was with an engineer in the cab it's families it uh, goes from generation to generation these guys are railroad guys through and through and they live the railroads and you can live. see
0: that in the identities can't yeah. you <laughs> yeah, very very much
2: and you see it i mean it's in, if you uh, sorry if you travel through the land of the union pacific which is virtually the whole of the western half of the united states um it, 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 the trains of course now the, the locomotives and the trains have these huge stars and stripes flags oh. going down as well. It's of real. Um, it, it's quite something for somebody from Britain to or Europe to travel to and see that. Because at first it's a bit daunting, you know, this huge Rasmataz, God bless America stuff. But it is them, you know. As you said, it's, that's who they are. That is their family. That is the belief and feeling and they work for a great railroad in a great country you know and that's how they see it and so the trains have to look like that and they do not just scale but the actual um, graphics and so on and the union pacific keeps that going really well
0: Mm -hmm. you guys are really making me want to like just go over to america (laughs) and go traveling (laughs) we we ought to tell
1: you that um that the uh, union pacific uh, was uh, as Jonathan was saying earlier on, they've restored one of the biggest engines in the world. It's um, it's called Big Boy, and it weighs about six hundred tons, and is articulated because it's so enormous. It's virtually the length of a of a jumbo jet. The engine, um, it's the wheels, which is where you measure a train, are four eight eight four. Which is just enormous, and I went to see it um a couple of years ago when it came into Los Angeles. And I really, I mean, you cannot believe how big it is.
2: <laughs> and it's and it's and it's black and silver, isn't it? Anthracite. Yes, amazing, and with this Futura white Futura letting us sing on the side. So, steam locomotive from 1941 that doesn't seem old fashioned at all. And what was intriguing, the in plural, was the sheer number of people that turned out oh. in the States, this land, you think of the automobile, um, who turned out from the moment that locomotive turned a wheel again a couple of years ago when Ian Logan was there to see it. Um, and it, uh, the police, the US police, were having to uh, control traffic on great rural roads going out yes. across mountain passes, there's that much traffic. People just wanted to see this mighty bit of American railroad, um, not just history, but it's kind of a, a sensation, a feeling, a, you know, a love of American railroading. They came out actually in their millions to see this single steam locomotive. Um, how about that? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, you know, I, I really love the enthusiasm coming from you both. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's really nice to to hear the absolute love for, um, you know, the trains and the the uh, graphic design and and identities surrounding this. And it sounds like it's been a real, uh, lifelong. Uh, passion for you both so we we don't have long left of the conversation uh, but something I've been thinking to ask um, so something I really like about your story is how uh, it started with you Ian for uh, you know going back to that first train you saw you fell in love with graphic design uh, you was able to you know, just go out there, traveling, taking photos, collecting stuff, documenting everything. And here today, you've you you, you basically have a book. You've worked with someone else. You've able to release this, and uh, I find that really inspiring. You know, as a graphic designer, if there's something that I really like, I can just go out there, document it, and and share it. So I feel that there might be people listening that might think I'd love to do that for x thing you know for for what, whatever that thing is that they've found you know so uh, someone might have found their own uh, uh train or whatever that they fell in love with so i'd love to find out you know in in the last 10 minutes is, is there any tips or advice that you can share for for anyone that might want to do a book on, on their own uh, has there been any interesting lessons that you guys have learned working together to to pull this book put together um so that you could share that with someone else that might want to do something similar
2: well if you're lucky um and you have to try and you really have to not just trust your luck but make your luck find an enthusiastic publisher yeah. and i don't think that we could have been luckier uh, with simon rigg of sheldrake press Absolutely. who is an extremely lovely and enthusiastic man himself and um he wanted this book to be special and his um and the designer um bernard higton who sadly died just before the book was published did a terrific job too and we had only together the whole team before this blasted covid thing hit one big lovely meeting together the whole team um and it's that teamwork that's so lovely you know, really enjoyable and how you find a publisher like that they're very rare these days um you can self-publish of course you can. Yes. Um, and then you need to. Graphic designers should be very good at this. Uh, work out costs, um, but it's a big gamble whether you because distribution's important, and a and a proper publisher, I don't mean established publisher, knows how to distribute books and get them out there to the bookshops and so on and, and the online trade. Um, so finding a publisher, if you can, is number one, and but self-publish. If you can't, because as you said, Ian, if a group of you get together with a common enthusiasm, you can do it.
1: I, I did. For this one, I published. I didn't publish, actually. I, I did a book on blurb of all the photographs of my photographs, and that's how I showed it to the publisher um it obviously changed an incredible amount from there on but I can tell you that Simon Rigg the publisher who is his is absolutely wonderful now knows more about trains than I ever will <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it, 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 is, it is quite a it's very exciting when you find a publisher like that and they're not everywhere I mean with most publishers you have to work quite hard to um to get them on your side. Um, and whether they're right or wrong about how well a book will do, you need to persuade them. Um, but but you, know, you can do it by yourself. It's just this question of distribution. I think is the problem, isn't it, Ian? Yes. Um, yeah. How you get marketing? That? It's marketing, and they're good at that. That's what publishers know how to do. You know, market. Yeah. They know the book trade. They know the media. Um, they know how to get it out.
1: But um, it's still difficult.
2: Yeah. So so we're saying it's not easy. But you can do it by yourself. Um, Funny enough, I'm about to do a little in-memoriam book for um, a locomotive engineer who died age 96 a couple of years back, just before COVID. And that will be self-financing amongst a group of friends, family, enthusiasts. Um, that's because it'll work because they're generous, you know, and they'll all have to stump up some money to make the book work because we won't get a mainstream publisher to do it. Mm. But we'll look terrific and have a proper designer doing the book as well. But that's how you have to do it. Talk to each other, um, talk to your friends, talk to your families, find out who's got a bit of money up their sleeve. So not easy. Well, I I,
0: I hope... So sorry to interrupt. I I hope doing this podcast will help a little bit, you know, to to tap into the uh, logo designers. Um, But yeah, I I really think there's a big market for this book because you can tap into the uh, people that are really into trains. And I know that there are a lot of them out there oh, um, that would absolutely immense. love this, um, but also graphic designers. You know, there's, there's, uh, you can really appreciate a lot of stuff just by looking at the images only. Um, yeah. there, there's a lot um, within the book. And uh, I, I think just talking about this in this conversation, uh, there's, there's stuff that I'm going to be looking at that I probably didn't even think of looking at previously, like uh, what I mentioned about Looking at what works successfully within all those harsh environments, because yeah. I know that that's lessons that I can learn and apply to my own work, which is interesting. yeah so yeah, so we've got a few minutes left, so I think as a final question, in terms of this book, obviously I want to help to promote it, which is why I brought you both on. How can people get hold of this book now? Uh,
1: they can go straight to the publisher um which uh, uh shelldrake press uh dot co dot uk um i think if you go on to the shelldrake website um there is a link that that where you can buy it
0: fantastic and they have kindly sent me all these different links to where oh, it can right, be bought fantastic. so what i'll do is i'll include that in the show notes for this episode um and uh when i do the email marketing and stuff i'll uh um i'll make sure that those links are all in there so oh, that people funny. can find it is it going to be on things like amazon as well or is it only directly through i think it's on amazon but
1: i think they they don't really i mean yes you, you have to put that but I, I think that they don't make a lot of money when it's on amazon
0: yeah sure yeah it's good to know that so if people want to support you go directly to the publisher because that's going to be the most successful for for you guys. I'm glad I asked that question, you know, because I always go to Amazon and I don't think of the consequences of doing that. So, um, yeah, if, uh, anyone wants a copy order it directly from the uh, publisher and I'll put links to all of that in the show notes for this Fantastic. particular episode um but yeah I think this has been amazing uh you know we're, we're at that hour mark now and I know that um uh Jonathan you you have a call shortly um so we'll wrap it up it's been absolutely amazing to speak speak to you both um I hope uh, the audience has really enjoyed this and uh also you know like me appreciates the absolute enthusiasm and and uh dedication towards collating uh this whole body of uh amazing um uh logomotive <laughs> um, uh collection so thank you both for coming on
1: it's all thank about you, passion and enthusiasm exactly
0: thank you so much to both ian logan and jonathan glancy for being such amazing guests to check out their book logomotive railroad graphics and the american dream head to shelldrakepresscouk forward slash product forward slash logomotive alternatively i'll link to that in the show notes for this episode along with a transcription of the interview too so to find that just head to logogeek.uk forward slash 113 So on next week's episode, I'm going to be joined by a couple of the team from the design agency SNASC. It's a really great interview, so I'm really excited to share that one with you. Uh, But until then, make sure to go and check out the sponsor of this episode, The Perfect Match, and start working on your mood board design. Um, So again, to go and check that out. Just head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash LogoGeek. So that's it for today, but I'll see you at the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek podcast.